Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of No Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you back this week. Uh, we have a lot to get into this week. Um, but first, I would like to... We kind of already announced this, but I would like to reiterate it. Um about our summer interview series and this is something i am very very excited for we are going to be sitting down with it'll be much like what we have already done on this show right so we've um we've sat down with some of the biggest thinkers and biggest uh minds and the biggest activists in the movement uh sit down and talk with them a about a wide range of subjects and um and and interests um, but I wanted to sit down with a different person every other week, every two weeks. So um, it'll be eight episodes long uh, throughout the summer. Excuse me, six episodes long. I can't math today, apparently. Uh, it'll be six episodes long throughout the summer. And our uh, month of June, we have two fantastic, fantastic defenders of liberty coming on the show. Um, the first one will be Cliff Maloney, and Cliff is somebody who's a friend of mine. Um, he's the president of Young Americans for Liberty, um, and when I go down to Orlando this weekend for the Republican uh, Liberty Caucus uh, National Convention, which I hope to see you there at, uh, I will be sitting down with him momentarily and, um, and recording an interview with him. And I am very much looking forward to that. And then the second one will be Jason Stapleton, who's the host of the Jason Stapleton program, a great podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts because I believe that, um, you know, if, if you're going to, to put out content, you have to consume 10 times the amount of the content that you put out. Um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, and he's he's one of the one of the podcasters that I avidly listen to, and he has one of the best minds. He's a um, he's a former Marine, and he just is one of the best minds in in libertarianism today. One of the best communicators of of liberty, and can articulate the message of liberty. I think. Um, extraordinarily well so I, I'm very much looking forward to talking with both individuals uh, and be on the lookout for each month uh, coming up we'll be uh, announcing the the two the two months each month coming up we'll be announcing the two interviews for the month um, right before the new month begins so we just announced June and around this time next month we'll announce July and so on and so forth um, but this episode, I wanted to get into a topic that we've kind of avoided a little bit, not purposely, but it just happened to, to go that way. Um, and I wanted to get into the, the topic of foreign policy, uh, specifically in regards to Trump and just America's foreign policy in general in the, in the, in the recent years and, and decades. Uh, and this is something that we have not touched on a whole lot just because of everything that's been happening. But honestly, we uh, we should have touched on a little bit. But I find that this is a good, as good of a time as ever because uh, Trump just wrapped up his first foreign trip. 
um, as well as making several policy foreign policy decisions within his first hundred days um, and slightly uh, over his first hundred days now that we're we're past that mark um, so I figured it was a good time right now to reflect it especially reflecting on what his campaign promises were and then what actually turned out to be the rea uh, reality and why you shouldn't be surprised by the results. Um, first of all, the, the title of this episode, as you have seen, is called America First, When It's Convenient. And I think that, that really <laughs> hits the nail on the head when it comes to Trump's policy abroad. Um, and this isn't going to be entirely foreign policy. We will hit on some some trade issues and we will hit on some uh, some international economic issues, free trade and, and isolationism and such. But it all ties into the same idea. America first, right? That was what he sold his campaign on, especially in the last few days of um, of the election right before right before uh, November 8th I think it was now I can't even remember it was it feels like an eternity ago at this point but it was only just a few months ago at, uh, now he sold America or seemingly sold America because we were tired of foreign interventions and he looked like I which is insane but he looked like the the uh, the non-interventionist candidate, the anti-war candidate. He was the one who got up there and he didn't support the war in Iraq from the beginning. That, that is one thing that remained true throughout uh, the duration of his campaign. One of the few things that remained true was that he was the anti-war candidate to an extent. Uh, he certainly was the anti-Iraq war candidate, whereas Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war, the only candidate running in 2016 that voted for the Iraq war. Um, he sold America on America first. That's something that, at least on um, foreign policy, I can get behind to an extent. I think we need to have liberty first and, and peace first, but that's something we'll get into here in a little bit about the solutions. But to understand the the transition between candidate Trump and President Trump and the transition that followed with uh, with his with his difference in, in policy approach. Because now President Trump is not very America first anymore, at least so it seems. We can judge his actions better than we can his words because words are meaningless without actions. That was one thing that I was hopeful. I was not um, I was not necessarily expecting much. I was not having high hopes, but I did try to hold out a little bit about maybe the fact that maybe, just maybe, I could be wrong about Trump on this front. Maybe, just maybe, I could be wrong, and we could at least have, finally, a sober foreign policy. Maybe we can finally have a foreign policy where we're not policing the world, where we're not um, going everywhere, dropping bombs on every other country that we don't like. Maybe we can finally have some restraint in our foreign policy. That's something that I hoped. That's something 
um, that Trump seemed to approve of. That's something that a lot of of liberty-minded individuals who voted for Trump, that was their reasoning for voting for him because Hillary was sure enough going to bring us to war with Russia or with definitely continue uh, the wars in the Middle East. That was for certain. Trump was more of a wild card. However, I say Trump was a wild card somewhat loosely because his actions thus far have been pretty predictable. And to understand that, you have to understand the nature. And I've talked about this on this program before, and um, I've written an article about this on, on Outset Magazine. You have to understand the nature of authoritarians. There should be no surprise that Trump has refrained from his America First ideology since swearing in, since January 20th. The same thing happened with Barack Obama. He was certainly the anti-war candidate whenever you compare him with John McCain. Oh my gosh, John McCain, he wanted to, he, there wasn't a country he didn't want to bomb. And likewise, even if you go far, way back, all the way back to 2000, George W. Bush, and this is something that it's hard to even fathom right now, but George W. Bush was also the anti-war candidate, seemingly. Seemingly for all these, because they weren't really. They all had authoritarian tendencies, and that's what you have to look out for. That's what you have to, that's what you have to keep an eye out for. Obama, Trump, and Bush all mirror each other in this aspect. They could have, they can make different decisions on a wide array of topics. But one thing that remains consistent throughout the duration of the presidency so far since, gosh, probably JFK, LBJ, probably JFK, is that war will continue. War will always continue, especially in the past 20-some years. Why is this? Because authoritarians, that is the health of the state. War is the health of the state. Remember that. War is the health of the state. This is why Barack Obama, his philosophy wasn't liberty. It doesn't matter if he, if he liked war or didn't like war. It doesn't matter that. Whenever he was a candidate, his philosophy was not liberty. His philosophy was not grounded in anything but government. And in order to grow the size and scope of government... War must continue. The same thing with President Bush. And now we are seeing that with Donald Trump. So now I would like to go through uh, a few of the uh, foreign policy mishaps of the, of the Trump presidency so far. It, it always dumbfounds me whenever uh, people who, who I know that were not pro-war guys before the election well before the election. Some of them even like even wanted Rand Paul to win in the presidency. And now, not all of them, but now some of them um, are justifying the president's decisions left and right for whatever reason possible. And it baffles me because you are ensuring the very state that you 
claimed to be against. You are preserving the very establishment that you claim to hate. That's why you voted for Trump, because you wanted the establishment defeated. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case right now. Unfortunately, Trump is the establishment right now. Everybody around him, the establishment is no longer George W. Bush. The establishment is no longer Barack Obama. It's no longer um, uh, John Boehner. He's, he's long gone. All these guys are gone. Right now, the establishment is centered around Donald Trump and Paul Ryan. Neither of those guys have liberty as a priority. Their underlying philosophy is not liberty. Their underlying philosophy is government. Anytime your, your philosophy is anything but liberty first. Not even America first, but liberty first. Anytime your philosophy is anything other than that, you can be damn well sure that there will be exceptions to the rules. This is why candidates always fold on their promises. Because they believe in government. That's their philosophy. Government is their philosophy. It doesn't matter how strong they are in certain issues. It doesn't matter if they're great on gun rights or uh, great on certain you know, economic aspects or something like that. If they have a but, if they say, well, all these are great and all I, you know, I love freedom and I love liberty, however, but we have to make the exception right here because times are changing, because national security, because we have to keep people safe. That kind of ideology, that kind of exception that they make to their philosophy, quote unquote, has led to the Patriot Act. It has led to uh, the bank bailouts. It has led to the, the expansion of war in Afghanistan. It has led to uh, the start of wars throughout the Obama administration because he started far more wars than President Bush ever did. He started far more wars than, than, uh, than he ended at that, uh, at that point, too. But let's look at the Trump presidency. Let's look at, at how his foreign policy is shaped so far. His, his foreign policy on Inauguration Day, that was, that was the, the mood of Inauguration Day, was America first. However, that uh, dwindled very quickly. Now, the first one that I want to touch on um, is in Syria. Now, <laughs> we, we touched on this a little bit a few episodes ago, but we didn't really go into great extent about it. But there is absolutely no justification for sending uh, bombs into Syria. No justification whatsoever. There's no justification, and the president has no authority to do so. A lot of people will point to the War Powers Act, which I would argue is, is pretty unconstitutional in and of itself. But let's, let's look at that as it stands. The War Powers Act does not grant the president to just go and drop bombs on whatever country he may wish for. It's for immediate retaliation of an attack for national security purposes, and that's about it. Certainly not for the purposes of humanitarian reasons. 
that's something that you can go and consolidate Congress about. Try to get them on board. The president has no authority just to drop bombs on whatever country he wishes. And certainly, certainly not, when you're, when you're, Policy leading up to Election Day and your inauguration promise is America first. There's nothing about America first in this foreign policy decision. Whenever George W. Bush even went to Congress to seek a to seek an uh, a, an authorization of use of military force after 9/11, when we were attacked. He would have had better standing after 9-11 to just invade Afghanistan than Trump did whenever, um, whenever Assad supposedly gassed his own people. And there wasn't even for sure evidence about that. That was a heart move, not a brain move, a heart move. That was an impulsive reaction. And that's something that a lot of people, um, including myself to some degree, not not to the extent that others did, but that's something that a lot of people warned about. Now, I don't think he's going to nuclearize the entire world. No, I don't, I don't think that's something he would do, but I do think that he would act impulsively, um, I, and I did before the election, that he would act somewhat impulsively if he had the authority to tell the military what to do. And this is exactly what happened. President Bush even went to Congress to seek an authorization of use of military force to strike back against um, to strike back against uh, against those who who struck us on 9/11. If he can do that, there should be no on 9/11. If he can do that on 9/11, there should be no reason why, if Trump truly believed. That he was fully justified in his in his strikes on Syria, there should be no reason why he could not go to Congress first. If after all, America first is your philosophy, forget for the fact that this is that that strike was in no way our national security interest. In no way was that in our national security interest. If your philosophy actually was America first, I suggest you follow the American Constitution first and stop acting like authoritarians throughout the rest of, of, of global history. The king had the power to do, to do those kind of things that you did. We restricted that kind of power from our executive and put it into the hands of the legislative branch for a reason. For the exact reason that you just laid out for us. So that the executive does not act impulsively and start, and start making wars all over the place. Not only was that not America first in our national security interest, it was not America first constitutionally. If you really want to be America first, start following the Constitution, Mr. President. Now, let's also, I want to get into this also, let's look into Afghanistan. Because shortly after that, what happened um, was Trump dropped the mother of all bombs, the Moab. Is that what they're calling it? Is that what, is that the, is that the abbreviation? I know it's M-O-A-B, but like, is there a, a pronunciation of it? Anyway, um, Trump dropped that bomb in order to 
fight ISIS. Now, I would argue that, yes, he does have better standing in this situation, certainly. In this situation, a lot more than he did in Syria. That much is true. However, that's about the extent of it. A lot of people I saw, both the left and the right, everybody except for the libertarians, basically. <laughs> Ironically enough, everyone except for the libertarians rejoiced and cheered this decision on because we finally struck ISIS hard. Finally. We, we really hit them. And we dropped something just short of a nuclear weapon on them. The biggest non-nuclear weapon bomb in existence. Now, why on earth would libertarians be opposed to something like this? This seems like a no-brainer. Well, if, if we had declared war on ISIS, this would be a no-brainer. I would be in full support of annihilating the enemy so that we can win and leave. Win and go home. If we have a war... That should be our objective. War should be short and not so sweet. War is ugly. So let's confine it to the best of our abilities and make sure that we win so that there is no going back there. However, the problem is, is that Trump used the authorization of use of military force that was declared very specifically on those who attacked us on 9-11 and use that as justification to drop a bomb on ISIS in Afghanistan. Now, I don't know if you know this, but ISIS is not Al-Qaeda. It doesn't really matter if they had some kind of connection or affiliation at one point with Al-Qaeda. They're not Al-Qaeda. You can't use the same authorization, especially whenever that authorization was very clear about going after the individuals who attacked us on 9-11. It's very likely that, he, that these individuals who, who were killed at youngest would have been probably about six or seven years old whenever 9-11 happened. I don't think that... I, I really don't think that they had anything to do with 9-11. Yet despite this fact, Trump went ahead anyway. Now, this is incredibly concerning. I Again, I cannot iterate this enough. I fully support killing the enemy whenever we have, A, an authorization of war, a declaration of war. I would fully support that. Um, and B, if we have a clear mission to go in, kill the enemy, and get out. That, however, is not something that we did. That, however, is not something that, that we can confidently check off as a list or as a check mark. We cannot do that because we had no authorization to go after ISIS in Afghanistan. Above all, like I said, if you really want to be America first, you must follow the Constitution. That's the only way you can consistently be America first. And moreover, I would say um, that... That's like a baseline test for being America first. Like, at bare minimum, you have to follow the Constitution in order to be to claim to, to your philosophy to be America first. Follow the U.S. Constitution, the American Constitution. That should be your first priority, to check if it's constitutional. 
That's what I think of whenever I think of America first. Because when you jump that step, then that seems more like Europe or or some other country in the Middle East where the executive has all the power. Not America. That's something that we ensured that would never happen in America. Yet here it is. Now, obviously, Trump is not the only person who has done this, but that shouldn't be the litmus test. Just because other people have done that doesn't mean that it's right, doesn't mean that it's justified. And likewise, like I said earlier, George W. Bush at least went to Congress to declare war on uh, on those who attacked us. Not declared war. We haven't had a declared war in uh, well since World War II, more or less. Um, but to seek authorization of use of military force, at least he went to Congress for that. Whereas Trump, no, he didn't go to Congress before he dropped the bomb. And we begin to see a trend. This is something that has echoed throughout the Obama presidency, and now because he set the tone, and the left is going crazy about this now. Not then, but now. Hopefully they can begin to see the trend by, I'm not holding my breath. When Barack Obama set the tone that I can just make war wherever I want to make war. I can just drop a, drop a bomb over here in Pakistan, drop a, drop a few more... Uh, bombs from a drone over here in Yemen. No big deal. I don't really need Congress. That's just a really nice suggestion. Well, now, somebody with uh, a lot more impulsive fingers has all the buttons to press. Now there's a point to be concerned again for the left. And somehow on the right, whenever that was a problem, whenever Barack Obama was dropping 26,000 bombs in 2016 alone from drones 26,000 drone strikes that wasn't a problem or uh, excuse me that was a problem uh for for conservatives but now that trump's our president oh we love bombs again we remember how much we love them whenever a uh, a a red-fingered president instead of a blue-fingered president was pressing them yeah that's right now it's great again now it's awesome. We love that. We have to remember why it is we're fighting. If there is uh, true national security concerns, which I'm not in, I'm, while yes, I do think ISIS does possess some national concern, uh, security concerns, I am not as concerned as what a lot of other people are. I'm convinced that if we had a more non-interventionalist approach, they would be less of an issue for America. However, um, if that really is your concern, we must follow the Constitution, eliminate them entirely, and then leave. That should be our foreign policy, if that actually is your concern. Now, what about, what about his recent foreign policy trip, or excuse me, foreign trip? He made several stops. He may have stopped in Saudi Arabia. He may have stopped in Israel. He stopped in Rome. Uh, talked with the Pope, he's talked with uh, Netanyahu, he talked with the, the, the kings in Saudi. What about that? Now, the Saudi trip, or the foreign policy, or the foreign trip, uh, excuse me, I'm butchering this all over the place. Uh, the, the foreign trip as a whole, 
I think was mixed. Some good, some bad. Uh, some of the messaging that he had uh, throughout the foreign trip had some good aspects and some bad aspects. Uh, it was kind of like the campaign, some good, some bad. However, what was concerning, like I said, it's about actions, not words. What I said was that, or excuse me, what, what he did was signed the biggest uh, U.S. arms deal with Saudi Arabia in U.S. history. That is very concerning. Especially, now I understand that uh, right before he was, or maybe it was right after, I'm not sure when the sequence of events happened in Saudi Arabia. Um, but at one point he talked about the Muslim world must lead in the charge against radical Islam. Now that's something I support. Fix your own house first. But his solution to that I find very concerning because it's not you do this and we're stepping back. It's that you do this and we will fully support you and we will fully fund you. We will fully arm you. That's something that's concerning. Especially when Saudi Arabia, reminder, this isn't like Jordan or even Israel. That would be a little bit less concerning than this. Saudi Arabia is known to have ties with terror, terrorist groups. They, they are, aside from Iran, I would argue, the biggest state sponsor of terror in the world. Yet we just signed the biggest U.S.-Saudi arms deal in history. We're giving them arms, much like in Libya. We, we never learn from our mistakes. We tried to send arms through Libya to fight the opposition before we really knew who the opposition were, and then somehow they, they got into the hands of ISIS. This is going to have the exact same effect. Saudi Arabia is going to give it to, and I, you know, this is obviously a prediction, no solid evidence on, on this in and of itself, but Saudi Arabia, I guarantee you, will give it to some group to do their dirty work for them, and what's going to happen is it's going to be either they will be defeated and will end up in the hands of ISIS, or it'll be a radical group much like how it kind of was with <laughs> with uh, with with Al Qaeda, we fully supported them whenever it was us versus the Soviet Union. Then they came around and and hit us back. One of those two kind of scenarios I can guarantee will happen. Now, should Saudi Arabia pick up some slack in fighting this? Yes, but I, I don't think that they're entirely concerned about. Islamic terrorism. And I find it very hypocritical that he is so concerned about ISIS with their human rights record and expressing that concern to Saudi Arabia when they have just as bad, if not worse, of a human rights record, especially since they are um, a state rather than just some radical terrorist group. Obviously, terrorist groups are going to have some pretty bad human rights records. But the evil of ISIS, that encompasses their abuse of human rights. That encompasses them throwing gays off of, off of buildings. But the fact that that's concerning, but not 
Saudi Arabia doing much of the same much of the same material, cutting their heads off, throwing them off uh, throwing them off buildings, preventing women from uh, driving cars, stoning them if if they do something wrong. We look like hypocrites to the rest of the world. In those countries, they're going to look at us and say, "Oh my gosh, the U.S. What are what are you doing?" Why is this happening every single time? You guys transition power. It's like it's like it, it's like Groundhog Day. It never stops. They just want it to stop over there, and we are fully supporting it. There's several cartoons um, from from different places throughout the world where it has the U.S. Helping Saudi Arabia hold down the the individuals who they are oppressing, while Saudi does the dirty work of actually killing them. And that's something I can I can look up and link in the uh, in today's show notes. The rest of the world is looking at the United States like, what the hell are you guys doing? There's nothing about America first in this. We should not be funding. Their armies. We should not be we be giving them our contracts. That's not America first. That's cronyism. That's cronyism. And that's dangerous. This is why Eisenhower warned so long ago of the military-industrial complex. Because it is a vicious beast. I personally, I think the Saudi deal is was probably more atrocious than the first two things that I listed. Why? Because I myself, and I know many other Americans, would probably prefer at least knowing whose bombs are being dropped. At least holding, holding someone accountable here. Instead of passing the buck to Saudi Arabia, who has ties to 9-11. Do we forget that now? Trump didn't, at least not in, not in, the, not in the campaign trail, ironically. Trump didn't, but now he does. Now that he's president, everything is different. And if the the goal was was good relations with all nations, yet entanglement with none, the Jefferson quote, which I think should certainly be our foreign policy. Instead of that, he's saying, let's just bomb the shit out of ISIS and let's let's join together in doing so. It's not America first. There's nothing America first about giving Saudi Arabia our arms. The enemy of my enemy is not my friend. We should always remember that because we have made the same damn mistakes every single time throughout our history of a foreign policy, certainly since World War I, really since Teddy Roosevelt. For the past hundred years, that has been our foreign policy, is that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. No, it is not. If the enemy is just as shitty, if the enemy of my enemy is just as shitty as the enemy, they're not my friend. And they never should be. Now, if, if we fight the same enemy, fine. But it shouldn't go past that. When we entangle ourselves in alliances with those enemies, that's when it becomes dangerous. We should always have goodwill to all nations, but
but never entangle ourselves in alliances with these people because what always happens is what happened after World War II with the Soviet Union, what happened um, after the Cold War with Al-Qaeda, and now, of course, as we know, uh, during the wars in, in Libya and during the Arab Spring with ISIS, and now we're getting into the same mistakes with countries like Saudi Arabia or even countries like Russia or, or, or places like that. The same mistakes. Now, reminder, when I said that the, the title of this episode would be America First When Convenient, and that's because that it's not convenient for uh, Trump to be America first on a global stage when it, whenever it comes to war because now he is the government. Now he has to show the world his strength because he's not really concerned about restraint. He's concerned about strength. That's what I warned about putting a strong man, what's known as a strong a strongman politics. That's that leads to uh, in extreme sense and you know a nationalist kind of figurehead. That's the danger of that because they're not really concerned about restraining themselves on an international stage. They're more concerned about showing the world who's boss. Now, when it's convenient is not in his his foreign policy decisions. When it's convenient is whenever, ironically enough, it's very inconvenient for us in regards to, uh, to free trade, to protectionism. Which is very unfortunate because both situations, whenever you are very protectionist with trade, yet very expansive um, and non-intervention, or excuse me, interventionist internationally, both lead to war. Trade, diplomacy, capitalism, liberty, that leads to peace. That's why... I said from the very beginning that liberty must be the first priority because if you understand what liberty means, if you understand what free trade means, what letting people live their lives the way that they want to live it, that creates an environment of peace. That creates an environment of prosperity, not just at home, but abroad across the world. Free trade is not just, I get that stuff and you get this stuff and, you know, yada yada, you know, we're all happy. It's a connection. That's what free trade is about. It's a connection. Because when we trade with each other, ultimately we get to learn a little bit more about each other. We see that we're not all that different. Sure, we have different cultures, different aspects, but we all want the same thing in the end. We all want a happy life. We all want a prosperous society and to live peacefully with each other. What interferes with that is collectivism. And that's something that I touched on last week whenever I had my episode on, on the roots of socialism and communism and understanding what, what true socialists and true communists want whenever they're out screaming and yelling and looking like fools. You have to understand what they actually want in, in order to, to defeat the ideology and perhaps convert certain individuals. You have to understand that. 
Well, you also have to understand that, like last week, like I said last week, collectivism is the greatest threat to human civilization. Let me say that again. Collectivism is the greatest threat to human peace, prosperity, happiness, and liberty. There is no greater threat, I guarantee you. The attack that just happened in Manchester at the um, Ariana Grande concert perpetrated by radical Islam, radical Islam is nothing more than a very ugly branch of collectivism. The collectivist mentality sacrifices the individual and puts their ideology first and foremost. It sacrifices the rights of the individual, it sacrifices the liberty of the individual, it sacrifices the life sometimes of the individual, actually a lot of times, that's the ultimate end goal, no matter what kind of, no matter if it's right wing, with fascist, uh, left wing, with communist, uh, religious right wings, with these Islamo-fascist ideologies, they are all branches of collectivism. That's the theme. The key to fixing this is staying focused on the individual, knowing that it's not us versus them, it's not left versus right, it's not uh, this culture versus that culture, it's the individual versus the collective. The state is just a result of the collective. The collective mentality, the collective ideology puts all of this in front of liberty. That's why we see individuals like Trump or Obama or Bush. That's why we see these individuals make sacrifices and make exceptions to their promises on the campaign trail. Because to some degree, they have a collectivist mentality. They do not think that the individual is sovereign. They think either the nation is sovereign, or they think that um, very bluntly the collective is sovereign in in the case of of people like obama or or bernie sanders or someone like that all of those things and i've i've seen a few people certain anarchists supposedly um who say that that at least nationalism is better than globalism and that definition of globalism meaning global government well i have a few problems with this mentality but first and foremost Um, And this is something that I want to get into with a more immigration-centered episode, um, immigration-themed episode um, about open and closed borders. But first and foremost, it is that it doesn't really matter if it's it's, um, globalism and and their definition of globalism, which is not necessarily the right one, but, um, or nationalism. Because as long as there is a collectivist mindset, it's a threat. They say that nationalism is at least better than globalism, and I'm, I don't really think so. Because they both sacrifice the individual. They're both just different stages. Now, there are certain things that you can change easier in, different, in, in the two different uh, mindsets, but ultimately, they both sacrifice the individual. And that is what we have to avoid at all costs. In very extreme cases, we get situations like radical Islam. In very extreme cases on the other side, we get situations like, like Stalin um, and, and Venezuela. In our American cases, we get situations like 
Bush to, to Obama to Trump where it's all the same. Nothing ever changes. Or even looking back further throughout history, uh, situations like FDR or Woodrow Wilson where they get damn close to becoming an American dictator. Some could argue that they were an American dictator. That's what we have to look out for. And that's what we have to put forward first and foremost at all costs. The individual must always be sovereign. And liberty must always be first. That should be our policy. If liberty comes first in our policy and our uh, philosophy, then it's very hard to get anything else wrong. Because at that point, it is contained to the individual. That's the point of this show that I'm trying to drive home so as, as hard as I can. That's the point that I want to make is that the individual must always be sovereign. If, if there was a subheading of this show, it would be individuality. Liberty must always remain first. Our rights, our, uh, our liberty is sacred and we have to remember that because when you put that first, Peace comes, prosperity comes, happiness comes, and we're all just living in a better world at that point. All right, so um, that is this week. I, I went through a lot of those very quickly, but um, I will be putting a lot of a lot of things in the show notes for reference. Um, my article that I I went a little bit more extensively into into this topic, as well um, as a few different references. Um, again, please, please, if you are going to be in Orlando this weekend for the Republican Liberty Caucus National Convention, please come out. Um, my panel will be on uh, liberty in the media, and we'll have a great discussion. We have uh, a great panel with, with, with that. It's at 10 o'clock, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Um, so if you're going to be there, um, I'll be there all weekend <laughs> until Sunday morning. I have to get crazy early get up crazy early in the morning for that which was going to be just a blast um but please come out and uh and enjoy a time there's going to be tom woods is going to be there uh, cliff maloney a lot of great individuals who i cannot wait to meet and hopefully i get to meet you as well um but if you're not going to be at the convention Please uh, tune in next week. We have some great programming lined up for you. Please let me know how, how you like this show and uh, like it and subscribe to it on iTunes. Give us a review uh, if you feel kind-hearted. Follow me at Caleb Franz on Twitter and follow the show at Liberty on Twitter. Um, and like I said, if you won't be at the RLC convention, then we'll see you next week.